my mom and I, she raised me, we really didn't have a lot, but at the same time, I saw that I could do a lot of things around me. And I saw that it had a tremendous impact on people because I realized you can be in a situation that you don't want to be in, but it doesn't have to feel awful. And at that same time, you can recognize that there's people around you in similar situations that feel destitute. And even if you're kind of like equals in the same way, it's your mindset that separates you. Welcome to Unstoppable the podcast for anyone who believes that their past and current circumstances do not define their future potential. I'm Karina Burton, your host and co-founder of CPR Construction Cleaning. This show is a series of pro-founding conversations that share stories and experiences of unstoppable people. Those who are willing to change, discover what it means to be aligned, and who are also willing to face tough challenges that stand between them and their dreams. As a coach and marketing expert, I live my life believing that I am unstoppable. Now I want you to know that you are unstoppable too. Welcome to the Unstoppable Podcast. We are so excited to have Danielle Leone, a chef and truly, truly amazing. We're so excited to have you on the guest. Thank you so much, Danielle. Yeah, Danielle. I'm very happy to be here. Thanks, Danielle. Karina. Yes, of course. And Danielle is an acclaimed American chef, an activist known across the United States as a culinary leader implementing sustainable change within the food system. Danielle facilitates local and national conversations on sustainability, the role of food and resource management and public well-being. As a member of several acclaimed food-centric sustainability organizations, Danielle has worked to inform consumers, institutions about how our food choices can promote resilient ecosystems, more secure food supplies, healthier people, and thriving communities. She now brings her passion and expertise to the Good Fish Foundation in the, in the, Nether in the Netherlands to develop the Chefs for Good Fish Ambassador Program. Together with a select group of Dutch chefs, she aims to incite a cultural revolution that intends to ingrain seafood sustainability into the heart of the Netherlands. Thank you again. I'm so excited to have you on the show. Yeah, I'm very happy to be here. Thank you. So you're all the way from the Netherlands. What time is it right now? Uh, you have me at 4.15 in the evening, so the end of my day. Um, you might be drinking a coffee, but I'm ready for a glass of wine. That's right. <laughs> You're in Arizona. It's 8.15 in the morning, bright and early. Um, not too early, but early enough, I feel like. You get your day started. So, Danielle, I am so curious to know, what and where in your life did you recognize that pivoting point that made you become this unstoppable person to achieve so many great achievements? Well, back in 2016, um, I started um, building the Breadfruit and Rum Bar, which is a restaurant in downtown Phoenix. And um, I quickly realized this fun uh, creative project, which kind of seemed to me like uh, not that serious, but I also have never 
built a restaurant before. It just seemed like it was going to be a good time. And <laughs> I would say after doing the demo and actually building this restaurant by hand, you know, as, you know, uh, somebody in their mid twenties with no experience, I was pouring all of my effort into this, my time, um, my energy, my money, everything it seemed like was revolving around this, this single creative project. And the moment it opened and did not succeed immediately, I realized that this was the first time in my life that I was required to do more than I could imagine. And it snapped in me and I was like something snapped like this, this like flame or this like hint of like giant uh, inspiration where I was like, this is not going to fall by the wayside. This is going to work. And with just in the moment's decision, I, I committed myself fully to it. And no matter what happened over the past decade at that restaurant, mm -hmm. it was always possible. And I think it was that, that one moment where I realized something I wanted so badly wasn't going to work. And it was sobering and it just clicked me into a mode that truly did make me unstoppable. So have you always wanted to be a chef? Is that something? No, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> I didn't wake up, you know, as a little girl dreaming yeah. of working in a kitchen that was a hundred degrees with sweat stains on my stomach at the end of the night. You know, that's not really <laughs> the dream I had. <laughs> I thought I was going to um, work in something in the federal government having to do with policy or diplomatic relations, something to do with um, creating creating legislation or implementing legislation that would impact the world in a very big way. And I got swept up in the fun of it, of owning and operating a restaurant, because it is also very thrilling. Mm -hmm. um, and it quickly became my passion and my focus for a long time. But that initial desire, my childhood dream of affecting change on a policy level, it, it still was able to shine through my work as a chef. Yes, absolutely. And you, you see it with your sustainability efforts. And I really, you know, after looking at, you know, more of your bio and, you know, I obviously was very drawn to having you as a guest because I've always felt um, that you had brought, you know, in Arizona, you were ahead of your times, in my opinion, with sustainability. And you really brought that to the forefront. And it really had this like curiosity in me. You know, is this something that, you know, what what was it in her childhood, in her adolescence, in her youth that made her feel so passionate about making this type of change? And your answer is, you know, is spot on. You've always had that within and you took your... Um, your vehicle, which was your company, you know, your, <clears throat> your restaurant and created an opportunity to make a difference and a change with what you had. And that's truly, really remarkable to see within entrepreneurs who 
look at entrepreneurialism as something more than just a service or a product, right? You're, you're wanting to make a change within the community. Do you feel, you know, tell us a little bit about your, your background, where you grew up and, you know, maybe the things that you enjoyed doing and then you pivoted into becoming a chef. Uh, I was raised in the Midwest in Illinois. I come from a very traditional Italian-American family. So um, a lot of cousins named Joey and Johnny and Frankie, uh, <laughs> a lot of uh, meatballs and pastas on Sunday, a lot of gold chains and Dago teas. <laughs> I love it. As my so, super fun, um, loving family, big family. And that's where I found my my love for cooking. It was always with my grandmother um, making this food for all these people that I loved so much. And I had it in me as a child just to organize and to direct. I would get so upset if my cousin Johnny wouldn't grade the cheese properly. He would have hell to pay. And I was like seven. So... <laughs> But in early um, age, you showed that you were very meticulous about how you wanted things done. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Peeling garlic, all of it. I was it was crazy. So my grandma loved me, and uh, I kept kept all those traditions alive in my family. Um, but it was like I always saw, like in retrospect, I, I didn't realize this as like mm -hmm. a seven year old child. But in retrospect, I realized that I always saw how things could be their best version of themselves, whether it was grating cheese or peeling a clove of garlic. I, I understood that it could be done in, in the best way. It wasn't all the same thing. Yeah. And that carried with me my adolescence. You know, I always volunteered to pick up trash or raise money to feed families in need or a, a slew of um, activities like being a camp counselor for underprivileged kids and it's so strange because the whole time, Karina, we were on um, food stamps and we had food boxes and like we would go, you know, to the church to get help and things like that. So like, my mom and I, she raised me, we really didn't have a lot. But at the same time, I saw that I could do a lot of things around me. And I saw that it had a tremendous impact on people because I realized you can be in a situation that you don't want to be in, but it doesn't have to feel awful. And at that same time, you can recognize that there's people around you in similar situations that feel destitute. And even if you're kind of like equals in the same way, it's your mindset that separates you. Absolutely. It's truly your choice, right? It is your choice to, to choose to get out of your situation. It is your choice to choose if you want to perceive it as something that is terrible and just draining. It is 100% our choice on our mindset. And that is what's going to be the differentiating factor on, you know, where you lead your life. Some people get stuck in that rut because all they see is, this is all I can achieve. This is all I'm ever going to be. And all I have is food stamps. And for you, you are like, I have food, you know, forget the stamps part. <laughs> and you're like, let's, <laughs> let's just, you know, make the best of what I have. And I can say, you know, I will share with my audience that <clears throat> 
I have been to the breadfruit and I can 100% attest to your example of the cheese. And I was actually thinking about this because I remember one of my most favorite dishes was this array of, I feel like I remember it being this exotic um, vegetable plate. And it could be so, it could have been so simplistic, steamed, threw some spices on there, but no, you did something that like I was addicted to. And every time I would go in, I'm like, I've got to have this vegetable plate. Like I am a meat eater and all I wanted was this vegetable plate because you took something so simplistic and you turned it into something so beautiful. And I was always very impressed by that. Um, what makes you so passionate? You know, Karina, it's it's about seeing what's special and what's beautiful in the most simple or seemingly mundane things in life. And when you talk about a vegetable plate, it was honestly green cabbage and some bell peppers and some farm vegetables. Just, just, and just. It could be just that. The difference is... Um, the next restaurant can try to serve it or I often tell my guests how to make it and nobody can do it. And it's so strange because it's super simple. It's really, really simple, except the one thing that sets it apart is that it really wasn't just cabbage. It was not just a vegetable. It was green cabbage from McClendon Select Farm. And the McClendons, when they pick their cabbage, they deliver it to you within a day or two. So that cabbage is very ripe and sweet. It has like a higher sugar content. Mm -hmm. When you get cabbage at the grocery store, it's usually very old. It's not nutritionally dense. It's, it's not fresh or new or tender or full of those sugars. And it's flat and it's a little boring. So you have to just, what I've learned is not take everything for what you might think it is, you know, um, the head of cabbage certainly is never a head of cabbage in, in any which way or form of life. I, I truly think that having that type of mindset is what really makes the difference between <clears throat> someone who is amazing at something and someone who is good at something, right? It's like you're saying two people can drive the same car, but it really just depends on your skill set, but also your mindset and, you know, how much passion and love and how much TLC you put into something that can be simplistic. And, you know, a mindset, I, I get asked this question all the time because, you know, with my history and my background, it's been not it's not very conventional. You would probably think that my story had started back in like the 1930s just <laughs> with how everything was. And, um, you know, people today now, now 10 years into my entrepreneurial journey. And at, you know, at the time when I started, I was a single, a single parent of three daughters. And now today, you know, I have this thriving company that, um, is going nationwide, but people don't see all the hard work in between, right? And I would love to know for you, where did you develop this mindset? Because 
it's not always just born. You're not, you don't wake up one day and say, oh, you know what? I'm just going to have this mindset. It's, it's really developed over time or there's something inside of you that just kind of triggers. Um, how, I feel like for you, it started at a very young age because with the story that you're sharing, you developed this early on, but what was it for you? I think I was naturally a, a caretaker, you know, and I paid attention to detail because I saw how much it mattered to people, how much it can make people very happy or very sad, right? If you, mm -hmm. if, if you observe a detail or you miss a detail and it's about the details in life that makes us feel special or seen. And moving through life, I just realized that the only reason why people fail is because they miss the details it's all the same, you know? Um, and I just thought if I want to do something, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it well. And the only way to succeed is to figure it out. And I'm in my life. I am the type of person that if I am dedicated, if I have committed, I will fulfill my obligations and my commitments to the fullest because I feel like it's a representation of who I am. It's about personal integrity and character. And I want people to believe in me. Mm -hmm. I want people to believe in me because I want to be able to have a positive impact. And if I don't have credibility, then how can you trust me to help you or to make a change in your life? And that's what I've realized over the years. So at the breadfruit, at the breadfruit and run bar in downtown Phoenix, when I started, I was not a chef. I was a yoga teacher and I had a background in political science. I mean, should not put me in a kitchen. <laughs> it's ridiculous. And I couldn't cook a piece of chicken to save my life. Karina, people would walk out of my restaurant during lunch. It was a freaking disaster. Um, and I would like the example would be like, we would go in and prep all the food during the morning, cook lunch, have a terrible lunch, have like a break for an hour and then get ready for dinner, serve dinner, clean up the restaurant and go back home. And then there's like the chef uniform to clean and everything. So like you have no sleep, you're standing on your feet for like 16 hours a day. Everything goes wrong. Yeah. All the food is wrong. Everybody has a complaint. I have no customer service skills. This is really awful. So instead of going home and rest, I would open up my laptop and I would start reading about chicken. <laughs> Not just like, how does it taste good? But what is the science behind chicken? Like how does moisture retained? How do you transmit flavor? How is grilling? How does it affect? Like teaching myself, giving myself a culinary education at night after I've worked an entire day on my feet because it's what I said I was going to do. I didn't say I was gonna show up and pour my life savings and my life into a business to make people upset and fail. Like who decides that? <laughs> so you have to do something about it, right? <laughs> Well, and, and being in the restaurant business is one of the hardest businesses to not only do, but to be successful in. And I think it's what you're saying. There's so many challenges that you have to face. You have to make sure that there's great customer service, that there is, you know, the food is great. You're going to have tons of people coming in with lots of opinions. And how do you make everyone who is so different from each other walking in the door feel exactly the same when they leave, right? Happy and satisfied. And that is a huge job. 
on your shoulders. And you had said that you started doing this in your mid twenties, your early twenties. Yeah. Twenty six when we opened it. That is amazing. I am so yeah. impressed. <laughs> and I know that so many who are listening, you know, also probably I'm sure feel exactly the same way. But I love that you've shared that it wasn't all rainbows and sunshine at the beginning. And that didn't detour you. You instead buckled down and said, I'm going to work 10 times harder and I'm going to make this happen. So besides going after work, exhausted and tired on your laptop, learning how to be the best, what other things did you start diving into to educate yourself, right? Because what you know is what you know. It's when you broaden your horizons is when you learn even more. Right. And my profession and my commitment at the time was owning and operating a restaurant and becoming a chef, right? And as you take the time to delve into your profession, um, it came, it just came to me that it also doesn't matter what my cooking technique is for a piece of chicken. It really matters where that chicken came from. And before I opened the restaurant, um, I would not eat seafood and I was a vegan for five years. I was a vegetarian for three and now I'm cooking chicken. <laughs> this was a very hard sell for me. Um, and so I'm like, I never thought I was gonna have to deal with all these things in my life um, from like that perspective, but I was like, I need to learn about these. And I started learning about sourcing and that's how it happened because I was failing at my business and researching how to fix this. And I thought, okay, it's beyond my hands and my technique. It's about decisions that I make. My success is not based on technique. It's about decision. And so I started finding folks that were raising chickens in a responsible way in the area. And I started to meet my farmers and my ranchers for the first time in Arizona. And I started developing relationships with these people that grow food and understanding how they grow food and why they grow it in whichever way they've decided and understanding their work and their passion. Let me realize my own work because it was all interconnected. And that's when I started to really become an advocate for a better food system. And what were some of the steps that you took to start really promoting that in not not just in your in your um, business at your restaurant? I know that you have been a big advocate and you have participated on many boards and have shared your passion of sustainability. Yeah. Um, so it was also you know earlier, Karina, you saw that the hardest job is to make everybody leave happy at the end of the day, you know, especially because everybody has a different experience. And what I found is the way to make people happy is to make them satisfied. And it doesn't always have to do what's what they're eating or what they're tasting. It's the idea they have in their head about you as a chef, as the restaurant, mm -hmm. as the ambiance, this idea of the food impacts how satisfied a guest would be. And so I started sharing my message on the menu about where I get my food, educating our team about it, 
talking about it at the table, even though that wasn't popular, nobody really wanted to hear it, honestly, for a long time, nobody cared. And sharing it with everybody that I knew, all my colleagues, or people within the downtown Phoenix area, and starting conversations with people that never thought to have these conversations until these conversations that were unwanted actually started to become topics. And people started to coalesce around them. And then it became more normal. And people started to realize that the breadfruit and me as a chef had a different way of cooking and a different standard. And um, I think it's sticking to being completely transparent and honest and being vulnerable and, and open to learning and admitting that I don't always have all the answers um, just make the whole experience more enjoyable, more likable. What year did you open um, the breadfruit and rum bar? <clears throat> what year was we that? opened? We opened in 2014. Okay. And so shortly after that, because when I think about 2014, I really don't think of as much organic foods. It was not nearly as popular. I know it seems like 2014 wasn't that long ago, but it really, like, there has been so much progressive change, especially within our food. Um, you know, there's more organic food, fresh foods, farm foods, um, gluten-free foods are more accessible for people. I've, you know, for a time I had to really shift my diet into only having gluten-free. And at that time though, and I would say a lot in Phoenix, I feel like Phoenix is, is a really great place for growth, but it is a little bit slower um, compared to other thriving states. They're just slightly behind. And so here you are talking about topics that are not a topic and you are like, no, we're going to talk about it and continue to push that through because you believed in it. And now here it is. When you say, and anyone says, I could even say with my company, we are sustainable in how we, you know, resource our cleaning products, right? Like sustainability is like the key fancy word, but you're like, no, like this is really real. And I'm all about this. Mm -hmm. And you're a leading industry um, teacher for a lot of people, especially here in, in Phoenix. What I try to help people understand is that, you know, you don't have to do everything at once. I think the one thing that has to happen, the one change that has to happen is your state of mind where you finally admit that it needs to be done better and then let everybody know that you, that you understand there's work to be done and that you have a plan to affect change within your business how you operate, how you source, the way you just conduct yourself and just keep people aware of it. It can be very daunting. It's very time consuming to become sustainable if you're not already. And um, there's a lot of new process to figure out and just sort out and a whole new sourcing system and um, the way you train and maybe the way you cost out items. I mean, it's a it's a really big process to, to convert a business and the nice thing about it, though, is once you do it, you'll see that the 
the benefit really does outweigh the cost because people want to support you. They want to be a part of something good. I mean, nobody wakes up in the morning is like, you know, I want to just put really awful, toxic food in my body. Let's go. You're just like, what? You're like, no, I mean, you might go eat a pizza, but it, that doesn't mean it's toxic mm -hmm. food. You know what I mean? You can yeah. still eat a, a responsibly sourced pizza from a great pizzeria. And um, it's just the change really, once it's done, when I look back on it, it doesn't even seem impressive. It's just like, yeah, of course it's like that. Yeah, the, all, yeah, even the chemicals are absolutely sustainable in how they were sourced and made at the breadfruit. The way we mopped our floors was taken into account. Everything was. Um, yeah, but it's always fun to share so we can uh, help bring people along, you know? Yeah, because it's more for you, it was more, um, more than just the food. And as somebody who has been to the restaurant and had the experience, I can 100% go behind. That was one of the things that really drew me into the restaurant was the ambiance. I thought it was the most beautiful, meticulous place that really drew you in to a completely different atmosphere. It was like you weren't in Arizona anymore. And I found that to be so fascinating. So it was, it was not just the food, it's the full circle. It's the experience of everything that you're going into. And then people walking out being like, wow, that was so cool. And I love that. And I think that is a really, you know, for the listeners who are thinking about, I know that there's a lot of people who want to start franchises, open restaurants, and do those types of things. And, you know, it's thinking about the full circle. How does, how does your place of business make someone feel? And you're thinking about checking all the marks rather than just selling the food and selling the product that you have there. What have you been, what were you doing alongside of, you know, your full daily schedule of being a chef and running a business. But I know that you have also been, part you've participated in a lot of other um, boards and um, shows and you, you just have so much recognition. I'd love to know a little bit more behind that and what you've been doing and what you have done. Sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, a part of uh, what my what I felt my work was as a chef was to help people cook, meaning like I wanted to make cooking fun for people and approachable, especially after having the restaurant for so long and having a good reputation. I thought it would be really um, the best way to help inspire people is to take the little bit of free time that I did have to to share. So like I would do a cooking show every other week on um, a local Arizona uh, station just to teach people like, how do you make scallops or a fried fish? And then talk about sustainable seafood, right? Because it's not even something that people understand. You know, it's a buzzword even for a lot of people. It doesn't mean anything. Um, and just trying to help people understand that we can there are a lot of sustainable options out there, meaning good food finds, good food options. And like for us in the United States, um, we always use the seafood watch guide or the seafood watch app. 
and you can just pop in the name of your seafood and you'll have to kind of know where it's from, which is helpful. <laughs> and it'll tell you if it's a good choice or a bad choice, meaning like, is it harming the ocean? Is it harming the fish stocks or not, <laughs> right? Like which fish taco should I be eating this Tuesday? It's a really relevant question, right? <laughs> it makes the hugest difference to the health of our oceans mm -hmm. and the health of our planet. Like helping people understand that like your food decisions truly matter. Every single fish taco matters. It all matters. And the same thing when you own a business, if you own a food business, you know, every hundred pounds of shrimp you buy matters. It all comes together. Um, we, I would participate in this thing called Good Food 100, and I was a leader in it for all the years that we participated, where we would submit all of our food purchases and where they came from, what we spent, and they would audit it and tell you how much good food you actually bought. And then I would use that list to um, improve um, it was just so nice to have somebody objectively criticize me, you know, instead of just always thinking you're great at everything you do. I want to make sure that I really was. Um, so that's something I would do is try to help educate people about how to make um, sustainable choices. And then um, with that, I, the James Beard Foundation noticed and I became a leader in their seafood sustainability program. And um, I'm an alum of the James Beard Foundation Women in Entrepreneur Leadership Program and, uh, you know, all kinds of stuff with the Beard Foundation. And it was so strange because, like, what I found, like, most people want to be a part of the James Beard Foundation so they can win an award, <laughs> which is fine. But for me, it wasn't about winning the award. It was so cool that... I can team up with the Beard Foundation to speak about sustainable seafood on their behalf across the nation or talk about women's rights or to talk about, you know, zero waste, to just to go out and spread these messages um, shoulder to shoulder with one of our prominent, most prominent culinary organizations in the nation. Um, and I finally did get my nomination in 2020, but um, the breadfruit is closed down right now there's no nomination for me this year but that's okay we did a lot of good work <laughs> you really have and i mean the restaurant i feel like it really has no you know it doesn't show if whether the restaurant is good or not it's the restaurant business really took a huge huge hit in um 2020 and these small independent businesses um, you know, that's yeah. the feat is so great. And I know that there are a lot of people still advocating for, you know, these companies, these businesses to come back into business because they are, you know, small businesses are the heart of your economy here, you know, in, in your communities and restaurants are really, you know, where we go and we enjoy our families and we celebrate food is you know, not just consumption, it is, it is an experience really. I, and, and that's one of the things I really, really love about, um, small owned restaurants versus going to, you know, a commercial, um, franchise restaurant, or maybe something that's a national 
brand because it is really all about the experience and that they do take more time and effort into planning, you know, like you have. And and to be able to see that, you know, you went from someone who was a yoga teacher and then decided to invest in this company and in this restaurant and become a business owner. You've taken someone from no experience and have scaled it really in a short amount of time with your passion driving behind you. I do have a question about, you know, I love that you said sustainability, you know, people really don't understand. Like everybody knows the word, people use it all the time, but what does it really mean, especially in the food practice and in, you know, for um, for the seafood industry specifically? You know, you just have to think about it this way. It's the, it's really just asking, was this, was this done in a responsible way? Meaning, did it cause the least damage possible to the planet and its people, right? Because we, we need things to survive. We need food and we need to get around. I mean, we're going to live. Um, but to be sustainable means that you're, I think, not taking, not taking too much, right? Like, you're not, you're not hurting, you're not causing any negative impact. And if there is some kind of negative impact, you're aware of it, and you're trying to fix that. So when you talk about sustainable seafood, um, if you're using the, the seafood watch app or the seafood watch guide, it takes into account actually the health of the ocean, like the how is the ocean floor being treated, right? Like, um, how are people taking fish out of the sea? Or if it's a farmed, if it's farmed seafood, what are we feeding those fish? And is that taking too many fish from the sea? And that's hurting the fish stock? Or is the water in the aquaculture harming the ocean or our waterways? So it's, it's like, the simplest things of just wanting to eat a burger or a taco or, you know, even just a plate of veggies, whatever you like, um, it really can cause a lot of harm. And that, you know, five bucks you're paying isn't to protect yourself or the planet. It's usually just to turn a profit. And it's not typically by somebody who cares what happens to you or the planet or anything around you because it's we're very short-sighted i think it's human nature so for me knowing that something's sustainable like you see something that's certified organic you can at least know that it's very most likely much better than something that's not right i mean that's the easiest way for a consumer to participate um the really best way which is a little bit more time intensive is to actually go to a farmer's market and know your farmer and that food doesn't have to be certified organic because you'll know if that farmer is putting pesticides on your food and poisoning you and your family or not <laughs> you could just ask <laughs> i mean it's really interesting farmers are very proud of their good practices and they're going to tell you all about it um and you're going to eat the most delicious food in your life if you actually take your time to go and buy it from your farmer um so sustainable is just just being conscious about where where your things come from 
What would you suggest to our listeners some easy ways? You had mentioned this app in regards to, you know, maybe at this time you don't eat this type of fish, but what would be some of the advice, maybe some tips that you could give our listeners on what to look for? Yeah. So yeah, eating, eating um, like shellfish, like oysters, mussels, clams, like the bivalve kind of thing, it's always hyper, hyper sustainable. It's always really well done. Um, a lot of uh, farm-raised fish in the United States is really well raised. Also, the fisheries, our fisheries in the United States are actually the very best managed fisheries, like the fish stocks mm -hmm. in the entire world. So eating fish from the United States, living in the United States mm -hmm. is always a really nice go-to because you know that it's taking into account the risk, like the social responsibility, like the welfare of your fishers, yes. the welfare of your ocean, and then um, also the welfare of the fish too. This is actually really helpful because I never, I honestly haven't really thought about that, right? I don't really eat seafood. And um, for a while I was vegan and then I switched back into, you know, incorporating meat into my diet. But I, I'm more of a light chicken and beef eater, but I have switched from my conventional meats into into always everything that we ever buy is always an organic and um you know i love to find meats that are you know locally um because for me i feel like that is the best practice if my body specifically needs meat i'm gonna try at least because i you know for me being vegan was hard on my body type and um but I still wanted to be very mind, mindful about my waist and about my sustainability and what I was, how I was impacting the environment. And so those were things that I changed for myself was, you know, being more aware and also switching it up, right? Like I don't have to eat meat every single day. I can have, you know, a vegetable plate in the evening time and, you know, have my proteins in nuts and seeds and those types of things. And you can get creative, but I feel like switching it up and having it be versatile every day is what also can be very helpful um, with being mindful in your waste and your consumption with different types of food. Um, have there been people along this journey, especially in you know your restaurant and chef journey, have been a huge influence on you and into, into not necessarily maybe guiding you, but maybe helping you, you know, along the way and giving you, you know, advice and things like that. You know, I would wish there was, <laughs> I honestly walked into this without any mentorship and I've, never participated in the culinary industry before I decided that I should have my own restaurant. So I didn't know anybody um, and spending a lot of time inside of my restaurant like chefs do. I didn't really get to know anybody for a lot of years. Mm -hmm. um, I would, I would say that 
in the like Arizona scene, like over the years, I would admire the work of maybe even, you know, some of the well-known names and not because they're well-known, honestly, just because they are good people like um, Chris Bianco, who has such high integrity with his sourcing and he's very consistent, right? in what he offers and how he cooks and he has a really big genuine heart and his like selflessness always really inspired me and his dedication. Um, there's another chef in downtown Phoenix. His name is Stephen Jones and he has a place called Lager and Delta in downtown Phoenix. And he also has amazing integrity and a great heart. So I'm thinking what happens is I kind of like would gravitate to the chefs that would cook with the same kind of ingredients, meaning like from Arizona or responsibly sourced. And then we're just always more like involved in our community. And I did spend a lot of time in downtown. Um, and then there's other chefs too that I would always keep an eye on and would always really on the rough days, you know, when days can be tough, you can be tough on yourself. That's when you have a hard day, right? Yeah. And just look around and being like, well, you know, Charlene at F&B is still in her kitchen. So it's okay that I've been doing this for a decade and I'm still in my kitchen. Like, because you think you're going to lose your mind. Like, I'm supposed to be not in my kitchen, right? Like, I'm supposed to be promoting myself. You're just like, everybody I admire is still in their kitchen. <laughs> like, just remember that. I'm like, that's right. Okay, let's go. Let's let's have a dinner service. Right. So yeah, it was always nice to think on those, those kind of people. Yeah. Speaking of hard times, is there a time that you felt was one of your most difficult moments, but then looking back, you're like, wow, I'm so proud of myself because I was able to overcome that. Yeah. I mean, most of my like recent experience has been with the restaurant and being a chef right and um some years ago when we like a year or two after we opened um i had really bad back problems and uh, we could not afford staff like we would have to cook the food and do the dishes and we would have like one waiter and then we would like have to help us the tables and cook the food and so you are your staff at that point in my world. And my, I actually couldn't lift up my leg anymore, Karina. Like it sounds super dramatic, but I actually sounds painful. would drag it because the stupid thing like did not respond. And I did not give a crap. I am like, we're doing this. I feel fine. It's just <laughs> not working and it's going to be okay. And then one of my friends from the yoga school would come over like in an hour break with a yoga mat and like try to stretch out my back and like move my body around. And we bought an inversion table and put it in the alley. So like, I, there's nowhere to put this thing. Yeah. So we put this inversion table in the alley so I can like stretch my back. And, um, you know, I just kept in my time working on making my back feel better. And I still showed up to every shift, every hour of every day of every week and every month. It was months and you know what? That was fine. <laughs> I love that. It's fine. You know, but the truth is, is once again, when you have a dream, life is going to come at these dreams and you're still a human being. 
And so, you know, whether it's loss, health, financial, if you have a dream, you're going to have to learn how to keep pushing that dream forward while managing life, right? Because life, life and all of its BS that it does to us doesn't stop while we're trying to push our dreams. And everyone that I know that has pursued their dreams and has had success and hasn't quit, you know, they all have a story of the things that they have gone through as an individual, but yet they're still pushing their dream along and, you know, sleepless nights, no money. And for you, you know, your bum leg, nobody can scave away from these experiences and so many new upcoming, you know, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, they need to remember that this does happen, it will come, but it it does have an end, right? And for you, what if you would have just given up, you'd have been like, okay, in three months, I'm better. And you, you're like, I should have just kept pushing through because in the end, you, you know, you got better and you were able to overcome it. And um, your example and even sharing that is, is truly um, inspiring. So you're in the Netherlands. You left the United States. What drew you to 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 go to a, to a different country? Well, the um, my restaurant, which I've like seemed to work at my entire adult life, right? Like. Um, Unfortunately, we, we closed our doors in, on, in March of 2020 because of COVID. And we really tried to do like all these catering things and we did our best to keep the doors open. And um, to this day, it's March, 2022, um, the rent is still being paid and there's still hopes of opening the doors of the breadfruit, which is like really a testament to the breadfruit mentality of never giving up. <laughs> but um. I, for the first time, Karina, I had a really severe pause, like, which was beyond my control. Like we've been talking this past 45 minutes about your mindset and how you affect outcomes. Like you decide your state of mind and how you handle adversity, right? This time I had no influence for the first time I felt like in my entire adult life, Mm -hmm. the world stops, right? Yeah, And I couldn't do anything about this. <laughs> and I was forced to hold still. And I thought, you know, I've always told myself that once I reach a certain age that I didn't want to be a chef that managed a kitchen. And I wanted to work on my advocacy work. Mostly I wanted to focus on making a change on a larger scale. Um, so it was this like natural wind down. And uh, with my work with the James Beard Foundation, um, there was this seafood sustainability organization that um, I was connected with. And they are starting a national campaign here in the Netherlands to build this chef army of sustainable seafood ambassadors to change the way the hospitality industry sees seafood, buy seafood, how we treat our customers. So it's like everything that I've ever done. 
and an opportunity to launch it here on a like nationwide scale. So I'm here in the Netherlands, I'm building a chef army and intending on changing the way that um, the Dutch see seafood. And hopefully at the end of the day, we reach our goal. Our mission is 100% sustainable seafood by 2030. That is so, I, I'm like in awe, honestly. Like I have, I have like weepy like feelings in my throat. I'm like feeling like choked up. That's the word I'm looking for because, you know, just literally hearing your story from being a child who, and I feel like this is the second time that I'm like reiterating this, but, you know, being a child who was passionate about wanting to make a difference and not having all the money in the world to be like, okay, well, I have this nest egg, I'm going to do this. And I'm, I'm, I see that my future is, you know, financed in front of me. And then you go into this leap of faith of becoming a restaurant owner at 25 and being a chef and having your failed moments. I'm just, you know, and then becoming this very successful chef with all these accolades and awards and your passion for sustainability, you have taken it so much farther beyond, you know, I love the breadfruit and I hope that you, you know, especially with your passion and you still wanting to see it come to life. Like I have wonderful memories there. And so I have my little, you know, selfish desire for it to want to be open again. But I am, I'm just in awe with that you've taken it and you have gone beyond and are creating more chefs in the world that have the same mindset so that they can open their restaurants and have the same practices. So it's really going and, you know, you could think of it as like, what if you created uh, the bread, fruit and rum bar and multiplied it? But really you're, you're going beyond that and you're in your creating chefs to open up their own concept with this same idea and practice. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> I really yeah, have. Thanks. I'm just, um, and I'm feeling like at a loss for words actually right now, because I, I think you're a very inspirational and influential person. And the, and also that, you know, you also advocate for women and entrepreneurialism. And I think that a lot of people could really learn from you in not feeling like when you can't do something that it's not meant for you, right? It's about choice. It's about mindset. We all go through hardships and it's about, you know, what do you, how do you choose to see yourself out of it? I am a little bit curious now because you had mentioned that you were felt like you had to be on pause in 2020 which I fully 100% can somewhat relate to you. I feel like you are even busier than I am. But, you know, what did that look like for you? How did you have to really dig inward to, you know, go from this busy restaurant life to just really chill? Like, 
yeah right Karina like my world would go a million seconds like it felt like my world like if I was there for 10 hours I only lived for 60 it was this amazing like beautiful form of like consciousness this rhythm we had you know at the restaurant um and it was really became my rhythm and my life rhythm and then for it to just stop like was kind of nice at first because I never really get a break <laughs> and then you like I just kind of felt like uh, like it was unreal and I gotta tell you that even though I wasn't in the kitchen I just became active in my own way meaning <laughs> I became politically active <laughs> and I started the um the Arizona restaurant the like a small Arizona restaurant coalition and started advocating for the rights of not just Arizona restaurants, but bars and eateries and food trucks. And um, I started <laughs> started trying to influence Doug Ducey and how he was not helping us uh, with the pandemic and getting through the pandemic. And um, I was really watching this like total collapse of the Arizona restaurant industry. So like I'm stuck in my little house and everything that has ever mattered to me is falling apart yeah. hardcore like spiraling out of control and so it wasn't a vacation i mean this really was my time to look inward and figure out like what does matter what does matter to me and it really is advocating again for the people that when times are bad cannot see their way out of things like I saw my restaurant shut down, my income was gone, all my friends were experiencing the same thing, they were depressed, they were having problems, and I'm just like, well, we should just do something about it. Yes. Let's do something about it. So um, I worked with the Arizona, I made the Arizona Restaurant Coalition, a small independent um, version of it, and then um, I paired up with the um, independent restaurant coalition, which is the coalition that is still working today that you mentioned to save restaurants. Mm -hmm. So saverestaurants.com if you want information on it. And we are still fighting to this day. That was March, 2020. It's March, 2022, yeah. Karina. Well, only one, only one third of the restaurants that need the funding got it. And there's two thirds of these restaurants that, I mean, they just keep closing left and right. But Anyway, so what I did with my downtime is I started a coalition. I started advocating on a state and national level for restaurants um, and just really figured out, like, how do you still make a change when my biggest microphone, my biggest platform was taken away? And not just that, but the whole industry that works towards sustainable change has also been put at a standstill. But I found out that, you know, if you want to do something, you're going to figure out how to do it. And I just had to think of a different way. Um, but there's, there's always ways to, um, to make a change. What would you, what advice would you give a new entrepreneur, especially in the restaurant business? Make sure that you really want this more than anything else in your life make this like your prize this is your goal and um have very honest conversations with the people that you love and know about how it might impact your life 
And I think most independents, when we start, we are not adequately funded, meaning we don't, you know, have the resources we need, whether that comes in staffing or any other way. And that means you are your biggest resource. Um, it's, it's not easy, but it's possible. And it just takes uh, like laser focus and sincere, honest dedication to the task. And if that's going to happen, you have to understand why you want it. You can't just feel like you really want it. Mm -hmm. Really sit down with yourself or somebody and write it down, make a list and visit it and check in with yourself. Um, and I also don't think there's anything wrong with stopping once you start. I know we're talking about unstoppable, but just because one endeavor ends doesn't mean not another one can't start. It's just how how you transition that matters the most. It is very true because I, this isn't my first entrepreneurial journey. This is actually my third. And you know, the first two, I actually had to walk away from because it was causing me financial distress and it was not a good environment for me. And I could have looked at it as it's not meant for me. I failed. I walked away. I quit. But I still had my goal in mind. I just had to find a different avenue and a different way. And it wasn't until, you know, I co-founded CPR Construction Cleaning and it clicked. All the things, everything I've been passionate about, everything that I've wanted, everything has worked. But if I would have given up by the second time being like, okay, I've tried it again, I failed. You know, so it is so true, right? It is okay to stop. It's okay to stop that journey, but don't stop your goal. Keep pursuing the goal. And that's where you become unstoppable. Um, Danielle, I'm sure that people are going to want to know, you know, where to find you and learn more about you and, you know, the, these um, associations that you're affiliated with. Um, so please share with us where they can find you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Anybody can reach out to me. I'm on all the social media, Chef Danielle Leone. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, um, ChefDanielleone.com. There's a website too. So if you Google me, you'll find me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Awesome. And do you have anything that's upcoming that you want to share that's some exciting news for you in your future? Well, we have decided that we're going to publish a breadfruit cookbook. That's very exciting. <laughs> That's super exciting for me. Balls in there. I promise I'll do it with love and great ingredients. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you all about it in the book. Don't worry. Oh my gosh. That's exciting. Yes. Well, highly, highly recommended all um, Caribbean and Jamaican food inspired. It's, I mean, you go ahead and you you give us the you know little bit of deets behind it because I, I could just go on about it but you're the writer you're the you're the chef yeah we, <laughs> you know i've traveled pretty much the entire length of the caribbean from you know puerto rico all the way down to the very tip of it and um most of my time in jamaica and that's what i cooked at my restaurant even though i'm from an italian family i'm really good at cooking caribbean food and i've really found how to make it personable and relatable for people that aren't Caribbean or maybe aren't, you know, so familiar with those kind of island cuisines. And that's what we had at our restaurant. 
And after, you know, over a decade of cooking things, I found out like, what's the top hundred things that people loved really a hundred. And (laughs) I'm putting these all into a book. um, So you all can actually understand like cooking at home, cooking good food, cooking sustainably, cooking things that are super delicious can all happen. And uh, we'll do it through a breadfruit cookbook. I love it. And this is going to be just a little like this selfish part of me, but are you guys going to throw any like um, rum cocktails that you, (laughs) if you do, (laughs) you know, I haven't thought about it, Karina, but I have been craving them so hardcore. Um, Just a couple days ago, I juiced my own pineapple and I made breadfruit pina coladas at home. You guys literally, I never had one drink that was not amazing. (laughs) So good. So yeah, I mean, you can, if you maybe, maybe. <laughs> we'll do it for you. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Danielle. I appreciate you. I am so grateful that we're able to share your unstoppable story. And I am wishing you the best of everything. I know that you're going to keep being a rock star. So keep changing the world. If you show that it's possible. Thank you. I will. Yeah. Thank you, Karina. 